well tonight as I shared with you, and I hope it's not a discouragement. I'm sure some of you are looking forward to pressing on into 2 Kings, and we're going to get back to our friend uh, Elijah and uh, fire from heaven, and it's going to be it's going to be something. I'm looking forward to the study of 2 Kings. But if you weren't with us this morning, this morning we were in Matthew chapter 23, and it was a heavy text in which Jesus declares seven woes upon the Pharisees. And um, it was just, we saw the danger not only of hypocrisy and leadership, which is the emphasis of the text, um, but we broaden the pastoral application a little more widely and just considered the reality that our hearts are born with hypocrisy and that apart from God's grace and the active work of the Spirit and our our striving in the Word, our, our, our pull is towards hypocrisy. It's not... Um, in some ways, it's not a shocking thing for the fallen human heart to trend towards hypocrisy. Churches trend towards hypocrisy. Pastors to trend towards hypocrisy. Though we, we sometimes are shocked and understandably disappointed, our, our understanding of what the Bible says about the human heart tells us that we ought not to be surprised. And so that was a rather heavy thing this morning, and I gave some... Yeah, I tried to give some applications or illustrations of how hypocrisy may sometimes be more present with us than we would want to think and revealing its ways. And, and that can be quite discouraging. So my heart was a little heavy this afternoon just because uh, I want you to be, uh, I want you to hear the word of God as it is. And I'm not going to keep it from you. And the word of God is like a fire. It will uh, search us. It makes us uncomfortable at times, um, and it's not my job to keep that back. But at the same time, at the end of the day, at the beginning of the week, I, I want to be careful. As I, uh, I wrote an email, I don't know if that's gone out. I don't think that's gone out yet. I'm just so concerned that um, in fighting hypocrisy, we don't take up the tools of the flesh. And so tonight, I want to look for just a few moments at the, again, the importance of sincerity. I want to look at the opposite of hypocrisy. I want to look at the importance of the doctrine or the, the practice of Christian sincerity, having a true heart and walking in the light. So I first want to examine a little bit of the sincerity briefly in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I want to spend a bulk of our time tonight in 1 John chapter 1. We'll turn there in a few minutes. And then I want to close with looking at Hebrews 10 briefly, just probably no more than the reading. So let me begin with a word of prayer before we go any further. Father, it's been a sweet day. It's been a rich day. We thank you for the sweet worship this morning. And we have been um, sobered by the, the teaching of our Lord. We are in awe of you, Lord Jesus. Um, you frighten us, and at the same time, we adore you, and you love us, and so we love you. We're not afraid of, of being condemned, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but nonetheless, your words surely are not directed merely at an ancient group of men called the Pharisees and scribes, but 
they must find, sadly, too often some place to hit in our own hearts. And so I pray in these next few moments that you'll bless our study. I pray that I'll be of help to those here tonight and that our time will be edifying. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'd ask you to turn your Bibles first to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking around. This is a bit of a topical study joined to an anchor text in 1 John. But first let's look together at 2 Corinthians 2. I just want you to see, first of all, how prominent and important the principle of sincerity is. If I think of a word that's the opposite of hypocrisy, it's sincerity. I mean, you could also say true, um, and truth is obviously very closely related. But in Paul's ministry, in numerous places, He's adamant about the importance of his leadership being conducted in sincerity. Um, In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul is in this letter responding to attacks upon his ministry and upon his character. And we do not find him defending his, um, you know, his, I suppose, his uh, effectiveness in ministry, like so many might today, we, we find him rather defending the, the reality that God and Christ chose him and that he has conducted himself towards the Corinthian church in sincerity and truth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, Now, we just pause. He says proud. We think pride is always bad. Um, He's not boasting. He's he's saying that he's, whatever he's about to say, he's very conscious of it. He he works to, at whatever he's going to say. This is his, this is the basis of the confidence of his ministry. And what is it? The testimony of our conscience That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So he he works hard at conducting himself and his ministry in holiness and godly sincerity. It's not a feigning sincerity. He's, He's not just a nice personality. He, what he, how he presents himself to the believers that he ministers to is a ministry of truth. Not only the word of God as truth, but he ministers the truth truly. He ministers the truth truly. Now, not in perfection. I just want to just insert, I referenced this this morning, but it would be a crushing load if the believer heard uh, the calls to sincerity and truth and, and to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, as Jesus says, and, and understood that to mean that I must, in order to get to heaven, be absolutely perfect and not sin. And we'll look at First John, but that's not going to happen. There is only one sinless man and only one sinless leader in history, and his name is Jesus. And we need to remember this. 
And even as Jesus warned against the hypocrisy in in leadership, we need to be careful, even in this day of lowering standards of leadership, at the same time, we need to remember that the men who lead us as elders, as deacons, pastors, are, are at the end of the day men like Peter, like Paul, like John. They're, they're men in process. They are men who are still growing. They are men who have a renewed nature, but they still have a fight with sin. But even with the fight, even with Paul's, the fact that Paul was a sinner, not just in his past, but though we don't have a, a record of, of his failure like we have Peter's failure, nonetheless, we know that Paul is not a perfect man, not yet, and that he understands himself still to be, in a sense, a wretched man who needs to be set free from the sin within. And yet, even though he struggles with sin, even though he is not perfect, he is able to say that he conducts himself with godly sincerity. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 17. This is in contrast to the ministry of of many others. He says in chapter 2, verse 17, we are not like many peddling or selling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So, Again, he's, he's not coming in hypocrisy. He's not uh, putting on a front as being a, a spiritual uh, guru, but inwardly he doesn't really believe any of this stuff. He, he speaks the truth, the word of God, and he speaks it truly with sincerity. So much so, if you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, He's able to say to Timothy that the whole goal of Paul's teaching, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says to Timothy that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So not only does Paul teach the truth truly, But what he's after is that the truth taught truly is truly believed and held in sincerity. He's not not content with a mere number of conversions. He is after, he's after that. He, he, He longs for men and women to believe and trust. But what he's after is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So I share these few references as to underscore the the importance of sincerity. And it's more than a passing emotion. It's not what this is for the Apostle Paul. Um, This is not in the moment, oh, he was really sincere. This is a bedrock determination of his soul. If sincerity and truth are forfeited, the ministry is forfeited. It's that serious. Um, 
This is, for me, my understanding of, of what, is, what, is, what is most important is, is sincerity and truth. Love, of course, is right there with it. We know 1 Corinthians 13, and Paul even says here, his goal of our instruction is love. But the constant battle for us as believers and those who have, of us who are leaders is, is, do I believe this? Has this got a hold of my own heart and my own mind? Do I intend to flesh this out in my life, in my practice? And do I really mean it? Because if that's forfeited, if that's not true, your ministry's done. You're, you're done. You're absolutely done. It doesn't mean that there aren't times in a minister's life like Timothy's where you're discouraged, where your faith is maybe weak, but you cannot ever give up sincerity and entertain hypocrisy. And I said this morning that there's perhaps, you know, an, a, a degree of hypocrisy in all our hearts. What I mean by that is, is there's that, that propensity, there's that inclination. I'm not suggesting that all of you are, are raging hypocrites um, or that all your pastors are, your teachers are raging. You know, that, that's not the case. In fact, Paul's able to say to Timothy, one more verse before we look to 1 John, 2 Timothy 1.5. I think this is very precious. And again, underscores the importance of, of sincerity. Sincerity meaning the, the, not only the speaking in truth, but there's a wholeness of your being. Your, your will, your thought, your, your affection, your intention is all brought together. It's, it's, it's more than just a tone of voice. It's it's all of who you are is brought into agreement with the truths that you are seeking to minister. So Paul is able to say to Timothy, I am, for 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, 2 Timothy 1, 5, I am mindful, says Paul, of the sincere faith within you. Timothy's having a really hard time in Ephesus. Um, and there's not much in Second Timothy that indicates that things are going to get any easier. In fact, Paul says in the last days, difficult times will come. And what Paul points Timothy to in his discouragement, in Timothy's discouragement, frustration is, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. You have a sincere, you're sincere this isn't a sham. You haven't ministered to the church in Ephesus out of any other reason than the truth and sincerity. So I just share those verses to underscore the value and the importance of sincerity and truth. Ministering the truth truly. Not flawlessly. Not perfectly. If that's the case, I'm done and every other minister is done but that there is a substantial agreement 
between what a leader teaches and what he tells others to do and what he himself believes, loves, thinks, and does himself. It's true that our lives teach the truth and support the truth as as much as what we say. So Paul is able to say, you followed my example and my conduct. Um, Hebrews tells us to remember those who led us, who spoke the word of God to us, remembering their conduct to imitate their faith. So, So while the New Testament does warn us frequently against false teachers like the scribes and the Pharisees, while it records accounts of many false teachers, tells us in the last day there'll be many hypocritical teachers, it's not true that all leaders are hypocrites. I've said this before, but we need to remember that in the New Testament, there are numerous models of sincere men. And we need to remember that in our day, we have been privileged to know more than a few men who have ministered and led sincerely and in truth. And they are a gift, particularly our our older brothers who have been in the ministry and been faithful. I'm so thankful for them. So don't give in to that lie that, you know, well, we should, you can't trust anyone, right? Uh, That's not the New Testament. That's not New Testament Christianity. But we are to be wary. Now, let's turn to 1 John 5, chapter 1, verse 5. And for just a few moments, look at the basics of walking or living in the light. So we've just taken a few moments to underscore the importance of the opposite of hypocrisy. And now I want to give just a little practical instruction on the basics of walking in the light. Walking or living in sincerity and in truth. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And... The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I just want to make a few observations from this beautiful few verses. First, if we're going to walk in the light, if we're going to flee hypocrisy. So what we're studying tonight is how do I be a person who who shuns hypocrisy? How do I ward off hypocrisy? And I again this morning, I I tried to instill a fear, I, I confess, not only of hypocrisy in leaders, but we ought to think of hypocrisy as poison, deadly, um, and all too easily 
taken hold of. We're not done with fighting hypocrisy until we are in the presence of the Lord, blameless and with great joy. We are to be on the alert. We've seen even in our study of 1 Kings, haven't we? We have some kings who are, they're, they're going good, in, especially in Judah. We think, all right, he's, he's actually, here's actually a king in Israel or Judah who actually loves the Lord and is actually walking in integrity and doing the right thing. Yeah, and then towards the end of his reign, you know, starts to go off into some form of hypocrisy. So the fight isn't done until we're in the presence of the Lord. So how do we then, how do we not despair, but how do we, how are we encouraged? This is really my, my goal tonight, is to encourage earnest believers to, to not be afraid. I want you to be comforted, and I want you to be encouraged that God has equipped us with everything necessary to flee hypocrisy and to continue in sincerity. Number one, understand that God is light. It's one of John the Apostle's emphasis here. God is light, verse 5, and in him there is darkness, no darkness at all. The Greek there is, there is no darkness, no way, never, ever, ever. That's the Gabe Rogers translation. Um, But it's emphatic there. You know, God is not mostly light, mostly truth, and just a smidge of gray. No, there's no gray. There's no, there's no mottled colors of any kind. The light here, of course, is speaking not of, of ne- firstly, a, uh, an aspect of God's being, for God is spirit. He's the invisible God. And we know that in, in the scriptures, when God wants to make known himself, make himself known to his people, he often reveals himself in, in blazing light and glory. But that visible light that he manifests to men and women like us is not integral to, his, to who he is, for he is spirit. So then light here speaks of the reality that God is true, that, that he's not yes and no. He is yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is pure. He is undefiled. He is holy. He is righteous. He is altogether true. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, Behold, Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's not divided. He is who he is. That's his very name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I am who I will be. He is the definition and the substance of integrity. He is truth. As Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. But I am the truth, Jesus says. So, and in him, John is adamant, there's no darkness at all. There is, there is no hypocrisy. There is no discord in God. There is no um, dissonance in God. He is who he is in absolute purity, sincerity, and integrity. And that's where we start is... This is who God is. Now that can be, if we're apart from Christ in our sin, that's crushing. Because that's not us. <laughs> apart from God and his work, we are dark. And in us is no light at all. Not a little light. But Paul says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. 
by nature, we are in the dark. And so the light of God exposes us. John's gospel talks about that right at the beginning, right? The, 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 the light, the darkness hates the light. It does not want to come into the light for fear of being exposed. So it's a reality that the fact that God is light is at first uncomfortable. It's particularly comfortable before you're converted because it's a devastating thing to realize how dark you are. And you don't even know it. But you start there. But that's not only for someone before they're in Christ. Even as believers, this is just a continual process. Constant process. Constantly remembering who God is. He is absolute light. And and if I'm, if I'm conscious of sin, of attitudes, thoughts, inclinations, things I know that are not pleasing to God, it's uncomfortable to remember this, the fact that God is light. But that's a good discomfort. <laughs> if you're a mature Christian, you learn to love that discomfort. You you understand that that discomfort of being exposed is not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to save you. It's the very process of sanctification and being changed. But we must remember that God is light. And what we find today happening so much is, is again, a bringing down of God. And because we don't want to be uncomfortable in the holy presence of God, we, in so many ways, change God as it were so that he's not so, so that he's okay with a little bit of gray and darkness he's not okay with a little bit of gray and darkness he wants us to be his children to walk in the light so first of all we need to understand and remember that God is light this is constantly important secondly we understand and I've already commented on this and confess our darkness and sin We understand and confess our darkness and sin. Confess means to agree with God about his view of our sin. That's what confess means, to agree with God in his view of our sin. Not our our view, his view. And here John says, he references that we are those as believers who confess our sins, verse 9. He doesn't say that we're those who have no sin, and he's talking to believers. So believers have, still have sin, still sin. That's our frustration. And the day will come when we no longer sin. Blessed day that will be. Blessed day that will be. But for now, we sin. So what does it mean to not live in hypocrisy? It means that I keep a very short list and that as soon as my conscience is pricked by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, I don't dilly-dally, but I do business with God. I don't stay in the shadows. I don't, I don't think, what, you know, how dumb are, I mean, we are in our sin. We're just foolish. But God is with me all the time. He is light. And maybe what I just said or how I acted or what I thought was wrong, I, if I'm going to walk in integrity, 
I step into the light of the reality of truth of who God is, and I confess that sin or attitude as quickly as I am conscious of it. Don't hold on to it. Don't wait. Don't take time. Get right to it. Otherwise, we are courting hypocrisy. The longer you put off confessing it and agreeing with God about your sin and his view of it, the, long, the more you become comfortable with it. Other things come up. You still haven't dealt with it. Fire hasn't come down from heaven yet. You're still conducting your ministry. People are still appreciating you, saying nice things about you, but you still haven't dealt with this sin, and that is the seed of hypocrisy that will begin to grow and can blossom into all kinds of fruit. If you look at some of the disastrous failures in ministry, and you ask, how did that happen? And there can be different reasons, but one of the most common must be that at some point that man became comfortable dealing with the things of God while harboring unconfessed sin. And he got used to it. And then it just expanded and he had to keep up the charade in the front. So on it, it sounds like it's a foreboding thing, but it's a wonderful thing you learn in maturity. It's a what a privilege. Because of God and because of Christ, I can confess my darkness and sin without fear of condemnation. It's humbling. It's it's uncomfortable, but I learn. It's always good to step in the light. It's always good to step in the light. Thirdly, and closely related, along with the remorse over sin and the discomfort of confessing our sin, thirdly, believe and rejoice that Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Believe and rejoice that the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. This is just wonderful. Um, Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, what does that mean? That means what I was just talking about. That means just on a daily basis, just living in the light. And, And when you sin, you deal with it for what it is. Maybe you have to confess your sin to your someone else as appropriate, but you just you just live in the light. You don't keep a rec- you don't keep like a a growing closet of things you haven't dealt with. You live in the light. You confess it because we have the confidence as believers that the blood of Jesus, verse seven, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God including hypocrisy, right? So, so the way to fight hypocrisy is not firstly on the externals. And I gave an illustration this morning about, you know, sometimes some of the sayings that people use, and I was pretty passionate on that point, maybe a little disproportionate to the sermon. But the way to fight hypocrisy is not tackling those little external things, right? That's not the issue. The illustration I was sharing 
and I hope I said this, what's at root I'm concerned about is a heart issue of, the, of fear and reverence for God. You go to the heart. To deal with hypocrisy, you do, most of all, you, you walk in the light and you, you believe and rejoice in Jesus. A little email I think will go out soon. I just, I just wanted to follow up from this morning, and I entitled the subject of it, Jesus, uh, fighting, or something like fighting hypocrisy, but Jesus is the antidote to hypocrisy. So it's not going to be, you know, trying to work on this little part of your life or that part of life, as, as good as that may be. I'm not saying we don't need to do that. But the only way that we can deal with hypocrisy is to, is to believe in and rejoice that Jesus cleanses us from our sin. That's the motive for fighting hypocrisy. If you believe that God loves you, that Jesus loves you so much he gave himself for you, and you believe that his own spirit dwells within you, that is the antidote to hypocrisy. It's hard to maintain being a hypocrite in the presence of the one who loves you and gave himself up for you. It's possible, but it's hard. So the real power to fighting hypocrisy is focusing your heart and your mind upon your Savior who loves you. And in his presence, and and the blazing love and integrity of his gaze... It's, it's hard. It's amazing that Peter, Paul says in Galatians, he recounts a time when Peter gave in to the Judaizers. And for a little while, even the apostle Peter started living in hypocrisy. He, he had preached that there was no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile. He would eat with Gentiles. But oh, when certain, certain Judaizers came to town, Peter started acting as though, like his old days, of being separate from Gentile believers. And Paul had to confront him to his face. And we don't know, we don't have the, the account of what happened. But Peter, we do know, confessed his sin and repented. He didn't maintain that hypocrisy that he entertained for a little while. And Why? Because the power of Paul's rebuke, I don't think so. I'm sure it was powerful. I'm sure it was humiliating for Peter. What do you think that drove Peter's repentance and backed him off from that dating of hypocrisy? I think, I'm quite certain, it's simply his loving Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. It was the love of Christ for Peter that kept him true. It's the love of Christ for us that keeps us true. So I want to be clear. I hope to be clear. I know I've said a lot. But if your heart was heavy with the fear of hypocrisy or you're discouraged with a measure of hypocrisy in your heart, do not allow yourself to be discouraged to the degree that you don't receive God's great gift. Jesus came for hypocrites like me, at least for me. I don't know about anybody else, but he came and lived and died for this hypocrite. The blood of Jesus, verse 7, cleanses us from 
all sin. It's not a sin that he's met yet that he can't handle. Such is the wonder of his love and of the nature of his death. Verse 9 reiterates this. John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Is hypocrisy a sin? Yeah. So like Peter, could be that that for a bit we, we entertain hypocrisy a little more than we should. When we realize that, we remember that God is light. We confess our sin. We come into the light. And we believe and rejoice that God in Christ forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's going to keep us from hypocrisy. If we try to fight hypocrisy by just kind of changing our behavior and the externals, the irony is, tragic irony is, we'll become exactly like the Pharisees and scribes. Trying to establish our own righteousness. So no, we we walk in the light by remembering that God is light, confessing that we are darkness and sin, believing and rejoicing that Jesus cleanses us from our sin. And fourthly, just two more, keep short accounts and confess our sins to God and one another. I've already referenced this, but keep short accounts. So you had a disagreement with your spouse. Um, That's okay to have a disagreement with your spouse, but maybe the way you handled the disagreement you know was not right. You were impatient or you said something that was unkind or unbecoming or so how long do you let that fester? Not too long. Humble yourself. Go. Apologize. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Confess your sins to one another as appropriate and confess your sins to God. So keep short accounts. Don't let that stuff linger. That sin linger. Fifthly and finally, Take heart, this is a long point, so sorry. Be encouraged or take heart. God will remove the remaining sin and hypocrisy in your heart. God will remove it. So don't despair. The fight with sin, the struggle with sin, the reality of sin in a believer's life can be, I I just know speaking personally, but I also know from reading and from sharing with some of you, it can be greatly discouraging to find our hearts just how how far we have to go (laughs) to be like Jesus. And I read this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5, you can turn there if you want for just a moment. First Peter chapter 5. And I didn't have time to comment on this, but isn't it encouraging? Peter says, Peter who was a hypocrite on numerous occasions. I mean, it was hypocrisy to deny Christ. It was hypocrisy later to not identify with Gentiles. So Peter knows a thing or two about sin. And this man who experienced the love and grace of the Lord and himself suffered says, 
after verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh, what a comfort that is. So many other places. He, he is able to present us in his presence blameless and with great joy, right? So we fight hypocrisy now like we fight sins. We, we keep it subdued. We live in sincerity. We walk in the light. And that is our constant struggle. We, we speak the truth. We want to live truly. We want to live in the truth. And the reason we do this is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more text tonight and we're done. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse, let's begin in verse 15, Mm, 14, (laughs) chapter 10, verse 14. Again, this is the motive, the the motive for fighting hypocrisy. The power is ultimately Christ and him crucified, remembering him. For by one offering, God has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So rejoice and believe in the finished work of Christ. Take heart. Let your heart be moved by that. And then, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. God's after sincerity. And I want you to be encouraged. You know, God knows each heart. But what is precious to me about this fellowship is that for all our flaws and our faults and areas where we need to grow, I believe that you are sincere. And I hope that you see that I desire to minister the word of God to you in sincerity, not just in the moment, but in all of my life. And where that is, it's a precious thing. Um... And it is all on account of God's grace, isn't it? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's take heart tonight. Don't be discouraged if you're, uh, you know, sure, be, be disappointed by the remaining sin. Be disappointed by 
hypocrisy, confess it, get out of it, come into the light, walk in the light, and take comfort that God has provided for you a sacrifice that cleanses you, not from some of your sin, not from most of it. You heard it. All, all our sin. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we would despair unless, like David, we believed we would see your goodness in the land of the living. And we have seen your goodness on display and delivered to us in the person of your Son. We are exposed by your word again and again, and it's difficult at times for Oh, Lord, we, just when we think we've learned something of the depths of our depravity, we, we see more, more veins and more f- cracks and fissures and, and areas where there is corruption. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we're tempted to throw up our hands and say, Oh, wretched man that I am. And yet, with Paul, we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that by your grace and by your doing and by the presence of your Holy Spirit, we can walk as your children in light. We can walk in sincerity and truth and finish our days in truth. We pray for it. We pray that along with love and obedience, that we would be sincere, that we would avoid hypocrisy like the plague, that it would be obnoxious to our souls, and that confessing our sins would be the norm, walking in the light would be the norm. Oh God, protect protect us in integrity and in truth, we pray. Encourage your saints with the thought tonight of your love, your love and love gift of your son and his shed blood for sinners like us. In your name we ask, amen.